good morning. First Corinthians chapter, does anybody know where we're at? What'd you say? Chapter 8. Very good. First Corinthians chapter 8. I got a funny story to tell y'all. I was running a little bit late this morning uh, to pick the kids up for Sunday school and everything um, because I got up this morning and I'm going about my day uh, doing what we normally do on Sunday morning, getting everything ready. And my wife said, are you going to trim your beard? Well, it's, I did have to trim my beard. Here's why. Yesterday, uh, well, Friday night, uh, I took a, you ever seen one of those Mr. Buddy propane heaters, the little room heater? I ha I've had one for a long, long time, and I had to take it apart because it wasn't working right. It wouldn't stay running. So uh, I used to do propane for a living, so I kind of knew what I was looking at, but it kept making this real weird sound when you turned the pilot on, almost like it was bubbling. So what happened is at some point I must have got bad propane in there, and propane is made out of, it's a byproduct of fossil fuels, it's a petroleum product. So all the oil gets in the, got in the tube from this bad propane, so it wasn't letting gas by. So I finally figured out what was wrong after tearing the whole thing apart, I put it back together, and then finally just took the nut off of that uh, pilot tube and was letting all that oil out. Well, I didn't, if, you let, if you blow it out with air, you'll blow the controls out. So I was using propane to, to blow it out. And uh, knowing, that's not real smart, but I, I know what I'm looking at. So I'm letting it all out and the, the knob is two in one. It, it releases the propane, but also it's the igniter. So I picked it up and I'm holding it with my thumb trying to tip it and I clicked the igniter and the thing, woof! So my whole beard was all singed and my eyebrows were singed, my eyelashes are singed. And so I woke up this morning completely forgot about it and my wife said, are you gonna trim that or what? So at the last minute I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta clean that up. So anyway, we made it. First Corinthians chapter eight. Last week we got into um, Paul talking about the issues that the people in the church had brought up to him, questions they had asked him. And last week, chapter, well, last two weeks, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 was about marriage and the different issues with that. 1 Corinthians then chapter 8 through 10 starts talking about Christian liberty. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We should be able pretty easily to make it through chapter 8. Um, it's only 13 verses. And then chapter 9, still talking about Christian liberty, but it sort of changes topics and then first, uh, chapter 10 kind of sort of deals again with what he's talking about in chapter 8, with idols, meat offered to idols and different things like that. So we'll, we'll touch on chapter 10 a little bit this morning, but we'll, we'll mostly stay in chapter 8 and, and then look at some passages uh, that will back up 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you again for the opportunity we have to gather around your word. God, I thank you for the safety you give us as we go through our week, as uh, many of us get into many different situations, if nothing else, just driving down the road. And God, we, you keep us safe, and we thank you for that. And uh, God, I just pray that you would help us as we do go through our week, and that you'd protect us even more importantly spiritually, uh, that you'd keep our hearts right with you, uh, that you would guide us and direct us with your Holy Spirit. And God, as we study your word, uh, that we would get direction for our lives uh, through it. God, I pray that you bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And I am going to have some of y'all look up some verses, so I'll, I'll uh, 
do that here in a minute as we get a little bit closer. But verse 1 says this. Now as touching things, and remember I told you at the beginning uh, of, of 1 Corinthians when we're going through the um, introduction that you can kind of see the breaks. Obviously they're broken up in chapters, but you can see the break because first word of chapter 7, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. So he makes a clean break from, hey, these are the issues that Chloe's, uh, the house of Chloe wrote to me. Then verse seven or chapter seven, he says, "Now concerning uh, the things you wrote unto me." Well, he does that again in verse or chapter eight, verse one. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, so he's breaking from the marriage issue that they've asked about and switches to uh, talking about things offered unto idols. Now, if you remember the introduction to First Corinthians when we took a few weeks there at the beginning, um, these were some very wicked heathen people in Corinth. Um, and, and Paul knew that going in, and he also knew that he, who he's writing to here. But uh, remember the, the, not even just legal prostitution, but the, the uh, encouraged uh, prostitutes at the temple. Um, and, then, and then, so everything in their lives revolved around this heathen worship of these pagan gods and, and, and idols and different things. So Paul has to address that knowing the background that, they, that they're coming from. So he says, now as touching things offered unto idols, and this is an interesting phrase, we know that we all have knowledge. Um, in chapter 1 and, and chapter 2, Paul talks about some of that knowledge. Remember, you've got some that love knowledge, the Gnostics. They love to, to have knowledge and then to show, show off how smart they are and how uh, how well they, uh, their, their oratory and all the rest of that. So, but this interesting, this is an interesting phrase. We know that we all have knowledge. And um, what does that, what does that mean? What is he talking about there? And I'm, I'm just going to tell you my, what I think he, he means there. But um, he's talking about knowledge in regards to touching things offered unto idols. Now, he's not talking about the actual physical touch. He's talking about in regards to things offered unto idols, because then you'll see in the coming verses, he's talking about eating meat that was offered to idols, things like that. So he's not, the, the word touching there is in regards to things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And I think what Paul is saying there is, you all know the background of these idols. I don't have to tell you what the background is. You all came from that culture. You know exactly what I'm about to talk about. But we don't have that background. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. Um, because Paul, Paul just is basically saying, I'm not going through all this with you. You guys know what, what we're talking about. But what, here's what uh, <clears throat> their tradition, their custom was. So the heathens, the, the Corinthian people, uh, would have, before their feasts, before every feast that they had, they would have made sacrifice first. Uh, to their gods. Uh, and then they didn't only eat that food themselves, they would have invited their friends to, to partake uh, with them. And then and these feasts were usually usually happened in the temple. So they would sacrifice in the in their temple and then have the feast in the temple. Um, and and that was where the sacrifice was offered. And you see that uh, in verse 10. 
Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 10. For if any man see that which thou hast knowledge, if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at me in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat. So why would they, why, why would they even have gone into the temple to eat? It doesn't make sense to us. But uh, we'll get there in a second. But, but what verse 10 is talking about, and, and according to their custom and their culture, they would have gone in not necessarily worshiping uh, in that temple, but these people, their neighbors maybe, somebody, their friends, even family, when they go to have a feast, and this feast is not necessarily to their God, but they always offered a sacrifice to the God before they feasted, and they would have this feast in the temple. So Paul's addressing this because it would have been a very common thing for these neighbors or friends or family to say, hey, we're having a feast. Come join us. And then they're going in this pagan temple to eat. So that's what Paul's addressing here. So it's not uh, as cut and dry as it might seem. Well, of course you don't go into the, the pagan temple. It was custom and it was normal to eat in there, even though you weren't necessarily worshiping that idol. And that's why Paul's addressing this in the later verses. But then uh, you see in, and turn to chapter 10. Remember, I said we'll refer to chapter 10 a little bit, but chapter 10, verse 25, then makes sense because this was common with, or it was law with the Israelites. This is how the priests provided for themselves. This is how they ate, right? You remember in Leviticus and some of the Old Testament books, uh, God's law was for the Hebrew priests to have some of the meat that was given to God. That's how they survived. Uh, and, And I won't go there, but... You, the Bible talks about that. The, the priest was allowed to have certain cuts of meat, and that's what he used to eat. Well, the same thing happened with these pagan uh, <clears throat> priests, but they would take this extra meat that they had, and they would take it to the temple and, or to the, uh, to the market and sell it, and that's how they survived. So some of it they ate, some of it they sold. And it's possible that the Hebrew priests, I don't think we have any proof of it, but it's possible that they did that same thing because... You can't survive only on meat. you got to have money to buy the necessities, uh, different things that you need. So it's very possible that they would have sold some of that meat, the Hebrew priests. But we know the pagan priests did, because look at chapter 10, verse 25. Paul says to the Corinthians, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So what was happening is, now these, these Corinthian Christians are really worried because these priests are taking this meat to the market, selling it in the shambles, in the little, in the little market huts or whatever. <clears throat> and the Corinthians were afraid, the Christians were afraid that they were going to eat meat that was offered to idols and not know it. And Paul says in verse 25 of chapter 10, he addresses this again, says, eat it and don't ask questions. Don't ask, was this offered in the temple? Don't even ask because for your conscience sake, if you don't know, it's not going to be a problem. Now, We're talking about Christian liberty. That does not mean I didn't read my Bible. I didn't know it was wrong. Therefore, it's fine for me to do. That's not what Paul's saying either. But he's saying for your conscience sake, because this is so prevalent in your culture, don't even ask about it. Because look at verse 4 of chapter 8. He says, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is None other God but one. So taking that verse in chapter 10, verse 25, 
and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but he's saying, idols are nothing. They're imaginary gods. They're imaginary deities. They're, they're something that the human mind has made up to have something to worship. And you know that there's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So to you, it's literally being offered to a piece of wood or a piece of stone. Don't even worry about it. It's not... Those idols have no power to have changed that meat to where when you eat it, it, it becomes an issue for you. So don't even ask about it so your conscience doesn't know and eat the meat is what he's saying in chapter 10, verse 25. All right, so back to chapter 8. Uh, so Paul says uh, there is some confusion because the, the Corinthians, remember, some are following Paul, some are following Peter, some are following Apollos, and certainly they would have been teaching some different things, and now Paul is addressing it to kind of once and for all say, this is, this is what you need to follow. But he says, at the end of verse 1, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And that's an interesting spot for him to put that phrase too. Why would he put that right here uh, in, in verse 1, right away, right off the bat? Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And I think here's what was happening. The Gnostics, the, the thinkers in the church, were, were priding themselves so much that they knew so much about these idols are nothing, which is right, that they were eating meat, eating in the temple, doing whatever they felt like in regards to meat offered to idols, regardless of how it was affecting other people in the church. So, so if, if Nitin is super convinced that, man, we cannot be, we cannot eat in the temple or we cannot eat meat that's been offered to an idol. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means if the world sees me eat that? And then you have these thinkers that were like, I know what it is. I, I know that the temple or that the idols mean nothing. So I'm going to eat regardless. Brother Scott. I agree. I do agree with you, and I was. I'm still making my point, but I agree with you on that because you see that all the way through First Corinthians. They're back and forth, and that's why Chloe wrote to Paul. I believe she's like these. We're so confused. We don't know. And Paul is laying down some very. Yeah, <laughs> it's not over carpet color either, but he's laying down some important doctrine here uh, about Christian liberty and what we're allowed to do. Now he is very focused on eating meat offered to idols but it, the principles are there all the way across because if in verse 13 wherefore if meat make my brother to offend I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend he's saying not only will I not eat meat offered to idols I won't meet, eat any meat so that I can't accidentally eat meat that was offered to idols if it's going to make my brother offend so Paul is not saying he's not telling them this what I do but you do whatever you want he's saying that is should be our attitude so I do agree with you because I think that uh, the end of verse 1 is saying exactly what, what you're saying. Paul's addressing that. Knowledge puffeth up. So 
you have one faction saying, idols are nothing to me. I can eat whatever I want in regards to that. And you're exactly right. You have these other factions saying, that's, that's complete sin. That's idolatry to do that. And Paul is saying, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if, it's, if what you now know is not used in charity, in, in long-suffering, in benevolence to others, what good is it? And chapter 13 addresses that in, in depth. Brother Scott. Right. You know, are, are you known for your for your stance on 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 whether or not you have the freedom to do this, or are you known for right for love? Yep. Yep. Because yes, you might have the freedom to do it, but if you aren't doing that in in an attitude of charity toward your brother, what what is how is it going to help or hurt them? Even if you have the liberty, you're it's not good to to use it. Do you have something in? I was thinking about you while I was studying this because you will be dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I hopefully will get to this, but if you look at um, verse 10, for if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Um, and the, let's see, verse 7 is the one I'm looking for. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. What knowledge? That God is the only, the only God. There were still some Corinthian Christians who were on the edge, which I believe they had converted. They were, but their culture, their, their, uh, they had been so brainwashed isn't the right word because, but they had been, they had been raised so steeped in idolatry that they couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that there's only one God. So he addresses that in verse seven. There is not in every man that knowledge that. Uh, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, verse 6. Every man doesn't have that knowledge, and he's talking about Corinthian Christians in the church. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So they, they were going in there doing what you're saying, but they weren't convinced that this idol is nothing. They're still kind of convinced like, eh, this, I, this, this God has some power, but they were eating anyways because they were following the example of other Christians. And there, and it says, uh, they eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So it was very much being a stumbling block. Some of these thinkers saying, I know better, it's nothing. were hurting these young, weaker Christians because they weren't convinced of that. They didn't have this knowledge. All right, so we're going to move, move on through these verses. Um, and I have tons of notes written down here, um, 
and now I'm just going to kind of scoot on through them. But um, let's see. I wrote this down. Knowledge without love causes pride and intolerance. All right? So that's what was happening here. They had this knowledge that the idols mean nothing. I mean, he says that uh, in verse 4. An idol is nothing in the world, and there is none other God but one. And some of you have that complete conviction, that knowledge that that's the case. So to go and eat without any regard for anybody else is pride and and intolerance. But love without knowledge, which is what we see today, uh, causes uh, a lack of discernment. Oh, I'm going to do it out of love for everybody, but then then there's no discernment in regards to what does the Bible say? What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do? It causes a lack of discernment to not have any clue what's going on, but I love everybody. So um, I think Paul Paul addresses that here more specifically the knowledge without love at the end of verse one there all right so then he says oh i went too far in verse two he says and if any man think that he knoweth anything he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know another another interesting verse what is he saying there uh he's saying uh no one for one knowledge is never complete nobody ever knows everything um, but if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing. And, and I wrote this down. Some of it's from Matthew Henry. Uh, some of it's my own thoughts, but it, this is why I wrote. Uh, when you know something but to, to no good purpose, and in yourself or others are not bettered for your knowledge, it's what good is it, is I think what Paul is saying. So you know all this, but it's not helping anybody. And he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. So you're using worldly knowledge instead of godly wisdom uh, to guide your life. And that's not how we ought to be living. Um, uh, I got this from Matthew Henry. And those who think they know anything and grow fain upon it are of all men most likely to make no good use of their knowledge. Neither themselves nor others are likely to be benefited by it. I think that's what Paul is saying here. You got all this knowledge, but you're not benefiting anybody because your pride is in the way that you know everything, and you, you're almost closing your mind to having anything, any other opinion or any other thought, uh, and so you're you're useless to yourself and to others because of this pride, this knowledge without love that we already talked about. All right, um, now verse three. Somebody give me a reference on this that the. It's the first verse that pops in my mind, and maybe, uh, maybe not yours, but verse 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Does anybody know a reference that immediately comes to mind to uh, correlate with this verse? Brother Josh? Nope. Not the one I'm thinking of. I'll give you a book, First John. I know you know this, Dad. Four, seven, and eight. Yep. And uh, I was going to sing that for you, but I'm not going to. But First John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. And I almost can't quote it without singing it. So I'm going to turn there. But First John 4, 7, and 8. Huh? <laughs> That's right. 
Now I can't find 1 John. Hold on. All right, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Does this not sound like what Paul just said? Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God, for God is love. So you might have all this knowledge, but if it's not done in love, you don't even know God. You don't know the heart of God if you're not doing what you know in love. If any man love God, the same is known of him. And um, I wrote this down. The charitable person is most likely to have God's favor. Think about that. That's, that's what God wants to see in his people, this, this attitude of charity. Not this, uh, even if you know more than the preacher, not a pride of I know more than that guy or, or, or a brother, a, an attitude of charity. Those who love God and for his sake love their brethren and seek their welfare are likely to be beloved of God. That's biblical. And how much better is it to be approved of God than to have a vain opinion of ourselves? Or how much better is it to be approved of God than to be in the right but hurting your brother? And he says that in verse 11 of chapter 8. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. So we might have the Christian liberty to do something. But if you hurt your brother in the process, you've sinned against Christ. And when I say hurt, I don't mean, um, uh, and I don't want to give ex- I don't want to give examples because Christian liberty covers our entire, the entire spectrum of our lives. It's everything. There there are things that are laws in God's word, and then there's everything else. Uh, and we have Christian liberty. But if you do something that makes your uh, fellow brother stumble, you've sinned against Christ. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, somebody new comes in the church and you do something and it offends them and you didn't even know. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when you know somebody doesn't do something because they're convinced in their mind that's not what God wants me to do and you come right in their face and do it because I have Christian liberty like this. I know the idols don't mean anything. They're nothing in this world. Verse 4, so I'm going to eat the meat, but it hurts him. You've sinned against Christ. All right. Uh, let's see. And I, I, I wrote this down too, kind of, kind of, uh, not play on words, but to know God is to love him. And all the knowledge that we get from God's word should bring us to God. So if you're, there are people out there that study the Bible so that they can argue against Christians. They have knowledge of the Bible. The, the, the Bible even talks about the devil's having knowledge of God, and they, they, know the, they know the Bible. They have knowledge of God, but they don't know God. In fact, they tremble at him, but they, they don't love him. All of our, the knowledge we gain through uh, what we learn from the Holy Spirit, through what we learn from the Bible, should bring us closer to God. So to know God is to love him, and to love God is to know him. So both sides of that coin. coin. Oh, you know, I, I, uh, I love God, but you don't know anything about him? Do you truly love him? Or are you only saying it, you know, with your mouth? Um, all right, so verse 4 then, we already kind of covered, uh, but as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. And Paul, Paul says this almost as a, yes, yeah, this is common knowledge. But then you see 
in verse 7, there is not in every man that knowledge. He's talking about that knowledge of verse 4, that there's only one God. And I kind of covered this already. That's why I said I got in front of myself. Um, but this is what he means by that. And if, and if you, the Old Testament, you ever heard vanities or lying vanities? Almost every time that, that phrase or those words are used <clears throat> in the Old Testament, it's talking about idols or gods, lying vanities. And I think that's a very good word for it because vanity, what is vanity? Emptiness is worthless. It's completely pointless. What are you doing? And Proverbs, it talks about it all the time. This, this, what the world is is vain. It's vanity. It doesn't mean vain. Doesn't mean our our thought nowadays of uh, he's vain. You know, he thinks he's so good. Vanity is emptiness, worthlessness. So these idols, the the Old Testament refers to as lying vanities. The reason they're called lying vanities is because they are empty, but but the world, Satan has tried to convince you that if you worship this idol, it's going to be good for you. He's going to take care of you, but it's a lie and it's empty. So it's a lying emptiness that you are chasing, but there's, you're chasing the pot of gold, but it's empty when you get, there is nothing there. That's what these idols are. And he says in verse four, you know that there is no divinity in these idols that they're worshiping. Um, Brother Nitton, this is where I was, I was. I was thinking about you as I was studying because I remember you saying one time that uh, somebody put a rock on the side of the road, painted it, and next thing you know, there's just food and, and money even, right? All around this rock, and he saw them put the rock there. He knew. It, it, obviously, it's an idol. It's not actual deity, and then all these people come and worship it. So common knowledge, Paul is saying, um, that these idols have not, there's nothing to them. First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse four. Uh, well, that was quick. I went straight to it. So if I'm going to start reading it. Verse four, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Tim, Timothy's referring to eating meat. None of it's bad. There is no uh, good or bad meats. Meat is amoral. It's, it doesn't have, it's not good or it's, or bad. So eat it, as long as you're giving thanks to God for it. But Paul then is saying the same thing. Even if it's offered to idols, they're, they're lying vanities, they're emptiness, they're fake. They've found a tree and, and worshipped it. How does that change the meat that they offer to it? It doesn't. So eat the meat. It's fine, unless it's going to offend your brother. Um, all right, so <clears throat> verse, verse 5 is, is a continuation of verse 4. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So this is what I mean by Paul is laying down doctrine now, the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Who is he? What is he? Uh, verse 6, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Uh, so, so we're not going to really dwell on that, but uh, he is laying down doctrine for sure. And then he says, um, uh, be sensitive to the weak believers. And I wrote this verse down, John chapter 17, verse 3. I'm going to go there and read it. Um, 
And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, uh, more doctrine, but Paul is, Paul is laying this down for the, for the Corinthians, but also for the New Testament church. Remember I said, 1 Corinthians, and I could be wrong, uh, somebody else might believe completely different, but I think 1 Corinthians is probably one of the most relevant books for the New Testament church, because there's so much um, doctrine in it, and so much that, of, that the church deals with. Uh, church discipline, and marriage, and uh, Christian liberty and all the rest of that. So, uh, moving along then. Uh, okay, I'm skipping some notes here so that we can finish. Um, okay, verse 7, we already kind of covered it, but howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge that Jesus is the only true God. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Uh, in verse 8, this is where he's saying uh, meat is an amoral thing. It's not good or bad. But meat commendeth us not to God. Kind of what you were saying, Brother Scott. Doing it or not doing it doesn't make you good in the sight of God or bad in the sight of God, eating certain meats. But God, uh, meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better. Neither if we eat not are we the worse. Uh, kind of what he did in verse in chapter 7 when he's talking about marriage. You're not better if you stay single, and you're not better if you get married. There's, there's not a, uh, this is what Paul's saying here. Meat doesn't make you spiritual, and not eating meat doesn't make you, uh, or eating meat doesn't make you unspiritual, not eating meat doesn't make you more spiritual. But 9 through 13 then is where he really gets to the heart of what he's trying to say in all those eight verses. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, you guys I talked to in verse 1, uh, and you that I talked to in verse 6, knowing that Christ is the only God, and verse 1, you have all this knowledge of idols that they're nothing. You guys, if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And we'll see in, ver in chapter 10, he does address it a little more in detail and says, don't go in the idols or in the temples and eat. Don't do it. But here, he's, he's just kind of introducing it and saying, it, it's, not, it's not good or bad necessarily. Um, and I, I didn't really talk about this. Well, I think I did. But uh, at the beginning with um, some of these uh, neighbors say that would have said hey come eat with us in the temple that's what he's talking about in verse 10 if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple they were going into the temples and eating this meat and these weak brothers were going what in the world are they doing that can't be right and Paul is saying you guys have knowledge that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily now he, he addresses it in chapter 10 because he's like, that, that's a really bad idea, um, you know. But he's saying that, it's, that you might be allowed to do that, but you're hurting the people that see you that are not convinced quite yet that Christ is the only true God. Uh, verse 10, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Um, and he's saying in verse 10, uh, the weak will be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols, even though their conscience is not quite 
to the same point, and then it's idolatry for them. And, he, and he's, I have a verse written down. We're not going to get to all those verses because we're already running late. Yes, sir, Chris. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, what, what difference does it make, really? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 In verse seven, um, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, I think kind of infers that they might come to that point, but they're not there yet. Um, do we make it a campaign of our own to go, you know, convince them? I, I don't, I mean, Paul doesn't really address that here, but, but in a way he does because he's laying down this doctrine to tell them there's only one true God. You need to be convinced of that. You need to come to that understanding. But some of them aren't there yet. They're still weak. And there are things, you know, my uh, pastor's father-in-law would not eat at a restaurant that sold alcohol, not that had a bar that sold alcohol. <clears throat> I mean, that, that is a, that, that's very much a topic of Christian liberty. Are you allowed to go in there and, and, and eat at a, at a restaurant that sells alcohol? I, I think, I mean, for me, I don't necessarily have an issue with it. Now, I don't go sit in the bar area, you know, and be all around it, but almost every restaurant does. But, but Pastor Brothers would not go into, because I think probably because of the image, he did not want to be a stumbling block to anybody in his church who might hold that same uh, belief or standard. Now, if he, um, those that don't hold that same view, are they going to be offended by, by Pastor Brothers not eating in a restaurant that has, sells alcohol? I don't think so. They're going to be like, well, I mean, I, he doesn't do it, but I don't have a problem with it. Brother Eric. Yeah. I know it happened before, and he would say, Brother, this is, this is my personal belief. I don't eat at a restaurant that, has, that sells alcohol. And they would either get take it out, you know, and eat it at the house, or they would go somewhere else. And I think that another Christian, um, yeah, and I, right, and most of y'all probably never met him, but he was, I know my dad and, and some of the others did, he was, he, he was not in any way offensive when he came, when he said that, he would not have come across offensive, because that was not his goal, was to, oh, I don't do that. It was, look, this is, you know, and he would even even address, look, you're not wrong if you do, but I don't. And so they would just go find somewhere else. So uh, to answer your question, Chris, uh, I mean, I don't think you're wrong to have a conversation, you know, have somebody over, you know, to, to, to there's a right setting to do it in, and you can come across as chapter, as verse 1 being very arrogant and not doing it in love and just trying to convince them that I'm right. And that, that's not the goal either, right? The, the goal is to not convince them that you're right, but to maybe help them see, look, you know, you're, 
the Bible talks about this and there's nothing wrong with it, but as far as building a campaign to, to bring them to your side, I, don't, I mean, I suppose you could, but I don't think it's necessarily helpful. Um, most people, by the time they're, now if they're newly saved, that's different, but most people have been in church a long time. They, they believe this. They're not going to really change um, as far as Christian liberty ideas for sure. All right, let's finish this up, and then we'll be done. Um, just a few last uh, points at the very end here. Um, and we didn't get to any of our verses that I wanted to read, but um, uh, all through the New Testament, it talks about different aspects of how you can be a stumbling block to the church, to individuals, and you can even be a stumbling block to yourself by kind of what he says in verse 1, being so puffed up about what you know that you refuse to, to not necessarily change, but you refuse to give that charity to somebody who doesn't hold the same belief as you do. It, that's a stumbling block to yourself. Um, but We've heard this cliche before, but you can either be, depending on how it's used, you can either be a stumbling block to someone or a stepping stone that they can step and be better on. And I know that's very cliche, but it's a very good picture. You're there no matter what, right? You can either help somebody to become better by, by them stepping on you and what you know and your knowledge or whatever and being better, or you can be a stumbling block to them. And uh, Paul addresses that in verse 9 but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak perfectly fine for you to do it it's not sin it's not necessarily good or bad it's just something you've decided in your christian liberty to do be careful that you're not a stumbling block to somebody else and i agree with you brother chris you can't uh go around asking everybody what what offends you so i don't do that but if you know it's offensive to them or you know that they're convinced that the bible says this you don't flaunt it in their face just because you can. Um, and I wrote this, I, I, I took this from Matthew Henry, added a few of my things, but I'll just read this and then we'll be done. Those whom Christ hath redeemed with his most precious blood should be very precious and dear to us. We not agree with that. Uh, that's brotherly love. We might disagree in certain things. We might, uh, we might not like a personality of another Christian, but those that Christ redeemed with his blood should be very precious and dear to us. If he had such compassion as to die for them that they might not perish, we should have so much compassion for them as to deny ourselves for their sakes. And then last thing is this. Um, and not use our liberty to their hurt to occasion their stumbling or hazard their ruin. That man has very little of the spirit of the Redeemer who would rather his brother should perish than himself be abridged in any respect of his liberty. So very little of the spirit of Christ if you refuse to not do something that you know is okay. I'm doing it because it's okay. Then to just say, you know what? It offends him. I'm not going to do it. You don't have the heart of Christ in you um, if, if you're not willing to just ha have a little humility and say, for this time, I'm not going to do that uh, so that I don't offend him. Um, all right. That's the end of chapter 8. Uh, had a lot more verses I wanted to read that would just back up what, what Paul is talking about in the New Testament. But we will get into chapter 9 next week. It's still Christian liberty, but a little bit of a change of topic. Paul starts um, trying to defend his apostleship some and, and talks a little bit about his, his personal um, uh, example of Christian liberty. We'll talk about that in chapter 9 next week. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you again for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it's very clear 
uh, about how we should be treating our fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, God, we're all on different levels spiritually, and uh, those that are strong uh, should be thankful to you that you've given them that knowledge. And God, those of us that are weak uh, should be doing everything we can to uh, further our walk with you, better ourselves as Christians so that we can disciple others. God, I pray that you'd help us to have that attitude as we go through our lives. Pray that you bless this next hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed.